So that night, I've had it. I said, somebody's going to get it today. Somebody, they're going to get it. I knew they were having a party, and, and you know, I, I shot at everybody that I could see. So now I'm 17 years old, you know, facing life sentence. And I'm leaving, and I'm going back to my cell. The whole day room was fixated on the television. I'm talking about blacks, whites, and Mexicans. Everybody in there. It was the award show, musical awards. You know, the women were up there half nude, shaking, you know, fame, fortune. It seems like everybody was in a trance that were just that were just hypnotized. I knew I was in the spirit realm then. The show ended. One of my buddies came to me. He said, uh, "Hey, you know so and so, which is a good friend of mine. He goes, he's leaving. He turned to Christian. And he goes, yeah, well we're gonna get him and this and this and this. And he goes, what about you? And when he said that, I don't know what made me say it. I just looked at him and I said, you know what? Me too. And, and I knew right then and there that I was gonna follow God. Uh, I'll take it back all the way to my birth. I, I was born in 77 in Fort Worth, Texas to a young mother, 16 years old. My father was 18 years old. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents off and on. You know, my mother was a young mother. So of course, uh, any any mother without support, because my, my father went to, uh, he actually went to prison the very next year after I was born. So my grandparents raised me, very loving grandparents, very strict grandfather. He was a World War II vet, fought in Iwo Jima. I, I don't ever remember getting spanking or disciplined by my grandparents, but uh, I didn't need that just with a voice. You know, he was very stern. We were obedient. My mother, of course, without any help, she fell into the trap of working nightclubs, you know to support me, and uh, I had another brother on the way, actually from my father. I, I believe he did two years in prison, came home, and um, after that, he was pretty much absent all my life, so I really don't know him. My mother's side of the family, uh, we're from Guatemala, so we're Guatemalans, the Mayan Indians. Come on. My father was uh, Caucasian, so as I was growing up, you know, I was left with the name uh, James Sargent, which I'm very proud of to this day. But at the time, it was very confusing. You know, I, I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood. I was always getting picked on, and I didn't understand why. You know, my my grandparents and my grandmother, we, we ate burritos and menudo, and we had all that. So they were Catholics. So let me put that basis out there first. They were my earliest memory of God. I knew that my grandparents loved God, and they had their candles. They would do their traditions. We would go to Sunday mass. My mother wasn't really involved in church like too, mu too much that I know about. She was working in the nightlife and still young. And sometime around the age of five or six, my mother remarried to my youngest brother's father, my stepfather. And she got us away from our grandparents. They lived in the house on the other side of town. And I guess that's when a lot of problems started happening as I was younger. My stepfather was very abusive, very, very, very abusive man, very violent man, and that we witnessed. Uh, I couldn't tell you the countless times I thought he, he was gonna kill my mother. So those six, seven, eight, nine years old, time frame of my life, me and my younger brothers and my mother we were in and out of women's shelters, you know, and uh, my mother always went back to this man. I pretty much feared the man. He never displayed any violence towards uh, me or my younger brother, I guess, because we were not his children. But I do recall one time was very scary. Uh, my youngest brother, which was his child, he was uh, threatening to kill him, you know, and we protected him. We laid on him. He pulled out this big butcher knife. My mother was all beat up. After a while, you know, you can only protect your mother so much. You get you get tired of it. You don't know what to do. And my grandparents would try to get us to go live back with them. But, you know, where are our mother's children? They're going to stay here with me. And we moved around a lot. You know, he didn't have a stable work. The last time I could think it was around, I think it was 87, 88. I remember this day vividly. It was uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And we were very into sports and football. We knew all the statistics. Me and my brother played our games. Well, we were living in the projects at that time. And we were the only Hispanic or Caucasian family that lived in those projects at the time. Nobody bothered us. We went to bed that night. I think it was about two, three o'clock in the morning. I woke up and there was firemen in my house walking upstairs. And me and my brother got out. We didn't hear anything. Me and my brother got out of bed. We came down the stairs. There was police all in our house and our 
me and my brothers were fine, so I go down and looking for my mother. I just seen blood all over the kitchen floor, you know, a uh, big butcher knife laying on the floor. And I'm saying, what happened? And they said, hey, your stepfather stabbed your mother. So we came outside on the front porch and we seen the blood trail following from our, um, our front porch all the way to the payphone out there. You got to think this was the 80s. You remember this is the 80s and we didn't have a phone, home phone. So she crawled and to try to save her life. And then eventually we seen my stepfather in the back of the police car. They arrested him. My mother survived that attack, though. You know, she survived that attack. She was in the hospital. And even though we had violence in our life, we have very good people in our life, too. We were blessed. We lived with some of our teachers. Me and my brother lived with some of our teachers during that time. They took us in. Wow. We were attending the same school. You know, we had love, you know, and they wanted us to get away from that violence. Eventually, my mother got out of the hospital. We had to go back home. We had to go back home, same location. Everything was fine. She was barely moving around. We were helping her move around. She couldn't work. I guess times got hard. I don't know. One day, I came home from playing outside. I go upstairs, and I, I just happened to pass her bedroom, and I look over there. I'm sorry, this was about eight months later after her attack or whatever. I happened to look in her bedroom, and who do I see? I see my stepfather asleep in the bed, and I said, well, what is he doing back here? How is he not in jail? Why is she bringing him back? What is he doing here? I think I was about 10, 11, and that was my first memory of uh, some type of violence coming in my head. Because technically, I wanted to kill him in his sleep. Wow. I wanted to kill this man in his sleep. I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want him over here anymore. I guess we accepted it. We went back to school and we, we had, like I said, we had great teachers in our life that would uh, help us. They took great interest in us. You know, I, we excelled at school. A lot of times they say when people have problems at home, you know, their schoolwork fails. But I guess that's where I released some of my energy. I took a lot of interest in classes. I was, uh, I loved education, you know. So about a year goes by and we, uh, we moved to another place. And I'm, I'm not sure how my stepfather and my, my mother was kind of drifting apart. But one time it was late, there was a lot of people over the house drinking. You know, my mother had a bunch of strangers in the house partying. We'd be in bed and they'd be out there on the porch. I guess she invited a man over, you know, that she didn't have a relationship with. I heard our dog barking in the backyard. I heard our dog, I was, what's going on? You know, I look out the window. It's my stepdad and I guess his nephew. They're creeping out there in the backyard. And I didn't say anything. I just, I knew it was gonna be some trouble. Next thing I know, police are there at the house again. Uh, but fortunately this time, he didn't harm my mother. He, he harmed a gentleman that was there supposedly with my mother, you know? And the, the man lost his life, you know. I'm sad about that, but the thing uh, that I am happy for is I never seen my stepfather ever again after that day. My mother was um, single again, raising us boys, three boys on her own. So about that time, I would take to the streets, you know, a lot. You know, gang activity was very big in my area, in, in Fort Worth at that time. At, they also called it the murder capital of the world, murder, uh, uh, murder worth. That's when that name was going around. At that time, it was a, a lot of homicides and gang activity. I never wanted to be a part of that. Uh, I, but I did like going out there, doing my thing on the street, running out late, trying to get home before my mother got home at two o'clock in the morning, you know? So two years go by, I guess I get to high school. My mother gets involved in another relationship with another man and they're about to get married. This man, he was a good man, you know? They, they, they started going to church. So my mother said, hey, on Sundays, we're gonna go start going to church. And I'm like, church, you know, I'm 14, I'm running the street, I got things to do. What do you mean church? No, we're gonna start going to church. I was too far gone. I said, I'm not going to church, you know? And so uh, staying out late, I wouldn't come home. My mother would lock me out. She was very strict. Well, and you're not coming in this house, you know? I got two younger ones that I'm going to raise. You're not gonna bring them down just cause you wanna follow their life. but. I'm like, mother, this is all I know. Now all of a sudden you want me to do a 180 like that? Another important date that I remember very much, and it happened on a sports date. It was uh, 
Football Sunday. I borrowed my mother's vehicle to take my brother to go buy some shoes. I was probably about 14, about to be 15 at the time. We go to this place on the other side of town, buy his tennis shoes, come back out. As soon as I stuck the key in the door, my brother says, watch your back, watch your back. Once I turned my back, my head like this, to look, it was too late. The man stuck the gun in my back and he says, get in. And then another gentleman came running behind my brother, put the gun on his back. So they put us in there, stripped us everything. Two other gentlemen came in there. So we were all packed sitting in the back seat. We get to a secluded area. They open the trunk, get in guys. And they put us in and all we heard was, um, we're going to treat you like you guys did us. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I don't know what's going on. My brother was afraid, I was afraid. I thought we were pretty much gonna be killed that night. So they drove us around all night long, showing us off to all kinds of people. They bought crack. I could see them smoking crack. Well, I couldn't see them smoking, but I knew what they were doing. They were smoking, blowing it back there in the speaker to the trunk. And I, I guess that was the first time I said, well, God, if you're real, I, I help us, help help us, Lord, help, help God. You know, I didn't know how to pray at that time, you know, help. And so they finally pu uh, pulled us into uh, like a lake area, secluded area. They were trying to put the the car and sink it with us in, but it wouldn't it wouldn't proceed to go in. One guy popped the trunk and he uh, took our clothes off. We were fully naked, and then he goes, "My buddy here wants to kill y'all, but um, get out of here. Just get. Don't turn around. You turn around, we're gonna shoot you. Get out of here." So me and my brother walked to the closest residential area before the police could come. They called the police. They took care of us. They clothed us. And so they took us back home to our mother. And I don't know why, but the, the police didn't believe our story. They said maybe we gave our car away to a friend because we were late curfew and we need an excuse. My mother bought into that and I was very hurt because that was a very traumatic experience for me, you know, at that time and for my brother. So the only thing that rose in me at that time was just anger. Everything that came back, it was anger time. So the first thing I did, I uh, had a few video game consoles at the time that were very popular. I sold them all. I was about 14, fixing to be 15. I bought my first gun. I would drive over there to that area frequently to see if I ever seen those men again because I was gonna do them like they did me at the time. My brother was afraid, he, he was, and I hurt for him, you know, and I hurt for myself. I was afraid as well. I've been around violence. I, I knew about violence. I knew that uh, you had to handle the way they, the men taught me in my life, you had to handle violence with violence, you know? And that's the only thing I knew. As I mentioned before, I never really wanted to be involved with gangs. I was into school sports. I played a lot of sports too. But at that time, when a teenager gets a weapon, that's a very bad thing. That when he gets a gun, that's very bad. And he thinks he can conquer the world. Nobody could tell him anything. And uh, I hung around the wrong people, you know. Uh, bad company brings corruption, you know. I got involved with gangs. But, uh, to me, it wasn't really no gang. It was just the people in my neighborhood, you know. We got involved with gangs and uh, started dabbling in drugs. I never really did, and, and this is no excuse, but I never really did like heroin or ecstasy. or I was afraid of those type of drugs. But I, I'd smoke marijuana and, and, and do lines of cocaine. I was no longer living with my mother. My mother finally, one day I came home, they shot up my house, actually. Duh. I'm sorry if I, I need to go back, but uh, some rival gang members found out where I lived and they came by and did a drive-by on my house. You know, while my family was there. I come home, my family's out there on the porch with my things on the porch. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, uh, what is this? And she goes, there's your things, get out of here. And then I said, where am I gonna go? Where am I gonna go? And she goes, I don't know. And she walked in, shut the door, and my brothers were looking out the window, looking at me. Hmm. I grabbed them and from that time I stayed house to house, you know, friend's house, wherever. And how old were you at that time, James? I was probably about 15, wow. 15 years old, 16, somewhere around there. And what was, uh, as far as your immediate reaction to that, 
you know, I know you said you just kind of kept it moving and I know it's hard to even process anything at that age, but from what you remember, what was that like for you to, to realize like, oh man, like I'm on my own right now? I guess at the time, uh, as a I'm still in a child-like frame. I, I don't know responsibilities. I don't know anything. I just know survival. I guess now I gotta survive, you know? What's amazing during all this time is that I still went to school. That's how much I love school. I still went to class and it's like I was a bookworm during the day and, and gangster at night. Right around the time I'm 16, I think my grandfather passed away. So my grandmother was living alone and then my mother came to me and she found me on the street. She goes, well, your grandmother lives alone. Why don't you go move in with her and, you know, keep her company? She's, you know, she's sad. She's a widow now and they've been married forever. And I moved in with my, my grandmother. But once again, you're talking about a kid from the street going living with a very loving, small, frail Guatemalan grandmother. Her only worry is where am I at at night and here's your meal, you know, cook cook for me, breakfast, lunch. I ran the streets, I come home, put my key in the door, arrive at two o'clock in the morning, I find her up praying for me. You're so far gone, you don't, you don't see that. You don't see what you do to your loved ones or any of that. And I had no hope, no, nobody was there to direct me. But I will say around, around this time as well, we were going, we started going to a Baptist church, you know, and this is where I was getting my first exposure around people that knew scripture and, and salvation. It was my first time, you know, we were, they, I was raised Catholic with my grandparents and I, somewhere, somewhere deep in my heart, I knew that wasn't right. I just knew, cause most of the people that attend Catholic drinking at night and come there the next day, you know, and they'll be drinking again afterwards. You know, I don't see no hope in that, you know. I see you stuck, and it's religion. It's religion. It's not a relationship with, with Jesus. We started going to church. My mother didn't go to the church at this time. This was right before she married her her, her last husband. And she would throw us on this bus, and they were very strict. It was a Southern Baptist church. It was hell and brimstone at this church. And we were not allowed to wear shorts, uh, couldn't sit by girls, and... Basically, we would just go because all our friends would go. All of, all of our friends would go. They would get donuts when we get off. They would come, pick us up, drop us off. But they would have shirts. On Tuesday, they would come pick us up and to go soul winning. We would go knock on doors, and I didn't know what that meant. I just went with the, with the youth pastor and everything, and they would make us wear shirts that said, if you die today, do you know for sure you would go to heaven? And we would come and knock on doors, and I would listen to them how they would lead people to salvation. Of course, you're getting a lot of doors slammed on you and it's on to the next one till you can reach somebody. But like I said, at, at the same time, I'm still in the streets. One evening I come home from the church bus. One of my friends is there. He's about 15 years old and he's there waiting for us. And he's like, why do y'all go to church? You know, why y'all make, why y'all mom make you go on that? So I don't know, it's cool though, you know? And we go to talk, hey, what do you want to get in tonight? So we started talking a little bit more in depth, though. I said, well, you know what? If you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. I really didn't know what I was doing, only through the exposure I was getting at the church and what I learned. I said, you have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You have to ask for salvation because we're sin. You know, we're sin, brother. And he's like, I don't want to go to hell. And then I said, me either. And uh, I said, let's pray. So we prayed. I led this little gentleman to salvation at that time, even though I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was God through me. Here I am in high school. I go uh, through my ninth, 10th. I got kicked out of my home schools uh, from missing. You know, I skipped school, didn't do my work. And they threw me to uh, a school on the other side of town. And uh, it was a, a way lot better neighborhood than where I'm from. You know, I was in more of the poverty area. And I said, well, I'm not gonna have any problems over here. I get there and first day, this gang surrounds me like, hey buddy, you're in the wrong neighborhood. I said, well, what, who's this gang? You know, there ain't no gangs over here, you know? I don't know what happened, but I guess I was just trying to prove a point. Like, uh, hey, buddy, what are y'all gang banging for? I'm from the poverty-stricken area, you know? We're real gang members over here. For the next three years, I had to stay there because that was my last hope. The judge had already told me, it's no hope for you no more. And I had conflicts with these guys um, for three years. I mean, beatings, uh, 
shootouts, what have you. About 16, I got my second car. I already had a car, you know, 16 years old, uh, low rider and rims and speakers. And um, and how, how were you able to purchase the car? Uh, the first one, uh, my grandmother purchased it for me. And the second one, I ha I got a little job from where I worked. Uh, I lived uh, across street from a college campus. And here's the thing that the reason why we moved, my grandmother moved and got an apartment cro across the street from that college campus is because they had already invited me to go to college and live on the dormitory during the during my junior and senior and sophomore and junior years for college credit and to to get the experience of living on campus. And then, so when I would get through with that on the evenings, I would work at a little fast food right next door. You know, I worked right behind my apartments. And then when I would get out of that, I'd jump in that car and go run the street till two, three o'clock in the morning, you know? Wow. Going back to the high school where I was attending, I had a lot of problems there. And then um, I started robbing and doing all kinds of nonsense, carjackings and, 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 Somewhere deep down, you know, I always felt it was wrong. I, I knew it was wrong, you know. Uh, I was always uh, trying to be vigilant in my walk out there. If I was walking real late at night, I would never walk close to the street. I would walk closer to the people's yards just in case somebody came out and tried to shoot me. And, and you know, that's a sad way to live, you know. But that's the way. At that time, I thought that was the only way to live. We started robbing and we were breaking in cars, bringing in people's homes, uh, shootouts on the other side of town. You know, you're getting involved with women, like you're not supposed to, you're drinking, you're, you're doing drugs, and there's different factions in the groups. You know, these, these guys are the drug addicts, these are the thieves, these are the, but you're all supposed to be part of one organization or whatever. I think I was 17 and I got arrested. The detectives came to my house because we, a string of robberies, and they arrested me. Two of the gentlemen stayed behind, they got caught. And, you know, they, of course, you know, hey, it was him. Uh, you know, and there's no honor among these, uh, but they came, kicked down my door and took me to um, to jail. You know, my mother, hey, what's going on? She come, my grandmother's afraid. Hey, they just kicked down the door and team of detectives. And they bailed me out. So I was out on bail facing 10 to 20 for these robberies. And I said, I'm gonna do good, I'm gonna do good. I just got caught back up in the same situation, running the streets. I was too far gone to me, you know. I was like two different people. Sometime in in, in 1995, uh, I remember the day well. Uh, it was a hailstorm the night before, and it broke out a lot of people's windows and everything. I went to go vacuum out the car on the other side of town, of course, where I go to school. Not in my side. But over there, you know, because I feel like I'm bulletproof, you know, and nobody's going to touch me over here. And so I'm vacuuming out all the glass and everything. And lo and behold, what do you know? Two carloads. I, I couldn't do nothing against them. And luckily, they didn't really jump out and beat us down. They just threw bottles at me and my, my grandmother, you know, they hit my, she's not involved in this, but, you know, they harmed us and beat us bad. And th so that night, I'm leaving and I'm, I'm, I've had it. I, somebody's gonna get it today. Someone, they're gonna get it. I really don't remember too much of, of that exact day or what happened, but by the end of the night, uh, my world was forever changed. You know, somebody lost their life. 18 other people got shot. The person I asked to go with me, he even said, well, I will. you know, he's trying to convince me. Oh, uh, we got girls over here tonight. There's a party over here. And I said, my mind's made up, I'm, I'm going. I'm going whether you go with me or not. And I did, and I went and we went armed up to the teeth, and I knew they were having a party, and, and you know, I, I shot at everybody that I could see. The next day, detectives came to my house questioning because nobody really seen anything. Nobody knew it was me. It was just a uh, speculation. Oh, my heart. I remember my heart was racing and everything. I was like, what is it? And I played dumb. Oh, what are you talking about? Well, if you, uh, would you be willing to come down there and, and do a uh, lie detector test? Oh, sure, sure. Two days later, the detective picks me up. We go down there, do questioning and everything. And I was even surprised. He goes, well, okay, you passed. Uh, here's my card. I know you know something. You better call me and tell me. 
as soon as I get out, me and my friend are plotting, where are we going to go? We need to leave. They're going to eventually find out. We need to go to Chicago or Indiana. Or, and we did. We, we, we left to Gary, Indiana, Chicago, East Chicago, and tried to find jobs. We were about 17 at the time. It didn't last long. We couldn't survive on our own, you know. We're kids. And we came back, and it wasn't within a week. The whole squad force kicked down the door again. And I think that was it for me and freedom. It, it was over with at that time. So now I'm 17 years old, you know, facing life sentence. And I was so angry. I, I, I believe at first, I do believe at first, you know, what, what, what do everybody do when they're in trouble or when someone's facing death or they're in their harm and they, they're not believers? First thing they do, they, people say they don't believe in God, but what they do, they cry out to God. Like, please help me, save me. That's exactly what I did, you know, help me, Lord, help me. So I started a little bit reading the Bible. I really didn't know where to start, you know, well, what do I read or how do you study God's word? So I would just listen to people come in and testify to me and minister to me. And so we were in the county jail. There was a guy down there, a hippie biker guy. He said, uh, I used to be a satanic worshiper. And I said, well, hey, let, let me know a little bit. What, what is that about? What do, what do y'all do there? And he told his story and the reason why he doesn't uh, serve Satan anymore because supposedly Satan came to this man and told him, hey, your wife's pregnant. Sacrifice your son to me. And I go, well, do y'all read? Do y'all have a Bible? I heard it was like a black Bible or a satanic Bible. He goes, yeah, just read it. And if you're interested, it's not like any... Before he said it, though, my my vision was me picking up this black Bible and demons coming out and grabbing me. And the very next thing he said, it's not like anybody's going to come out and grab you. And I'm like, whoa, you know, this is crazy. And I, so I laid down that night. And next thing you know, um, that was my first encounter with some kind of evil spirit. I felt something heavy pressure on me. I, I was like, I, like sleep paralysis. I couldn't move. And I heard a voice say, I got you now. And I was like, whoa. And I couldn't move. And next thing I know, I don't know how I did it, but I fell off my bunk, fell on, woke up. At that moment, I knew spiritual realm is real. It's real. Right around the time of my trial came, they were wanting me to sign for 50 years. 50 years, here's 50 years, take it or leave it. And I said, well, I can't. I, I'm not going to be able to sign for 50 years. I, I'm not going to do that. So I abandoned God. You know, I was only eight months. I wasn't. I didn't have a strong relationship with the Lord anyway. I said, I'm angry at the Lord, you know, because you didn't save me, you know. And um, which is my fault. How am I going to uh, argue with the Creator over something that I did? God was always with me, though. I don't know why, but there was a lot of people praying for me. God was always with me. Eventually, I got it down to a decade. I took that chain to the prison, state penitentiary, at the young age of 18 years old. And I got there. I didn't have no fear. I mean, I was curious. I was a little bit nervous, but I didn't have no fear. And even then, when I, once I got there, I got caught up in prison gangs. It's a totally different world. You know, you're going to be with these people. These people are going to be over there. These people are going to be over there. And I think just me having a, a good head on my shoulders, I never got caught up in any kind of uh, bad things. You know, of course, I had my fights, you know your riots. Uh, a lot of times people in prison prey on Christians. They have a saying in there that says, uh, you didn't pray in the world, so why you want to pray in here for, you know? And and, they're, and we don't know if you're true or not. And so they would prey on them, beat them up, take their money, uh, solicit them, whatever. I never felt comfortable with that. Even though I wasn't serving God, I was not walking with God. I, I never felt comfortable harming somebody who said he was a fault because I thought the wrath of the Lord you know, you would come back to bite me. I guess for over eight years, eight years, I never, ever picked up a Bible. I was just a lost young man. You know, my, my education was good. I, I got two college degrees in prison. I talked for our people, even though they said, hey, you cannot talk for them because you're half Caucasian. You cannot talk for the Hispanics. Within a year, I was talking everywhere I went. I was the head of the people. I've never spoken to anyone outside the race for over eight years, you know. Just prison is very bad, dark place. It's very desolate. You gotta stay away, you know, you gotta stay vivid, alert, everything. So about the eighth year, I was um, I knew something was missing in me. I was I was physically fit, I was educated. I said, I'm coming home one day and and but I'm lost. I'm, something's missing. 
I started dibbling and dabbling in the black magic. Well, I want power. I need power. Just like in here, I'm going to take this out to the world. I want power. Started reading those Alistair McCallery books or um, some devil worshiper with black magic. I didn't really find too much interest in that. A Muslim guy talked to me. He said, well, hey, you guys always have to pray to a middleman. We pray directly to God. Oh, okay, this is interesting. Okay, let me hear about that. I never really got into that because I seen that some people used it only as an organization in there, you know? So I said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm Indian. I'm mine Indian from Guatemala. Maybe I need to get in shamanism. Went out there to the rec yard and talked with a gentleman and he gave me some books. He goes, hey, uh, you need to find your spirit animal and this and this. And I'm the only guy that goes to religious classes on shamanism. I could show you a lot. Here's some literature. I went back and devoured it because I was hungry for something, you know? Next thing I know, I tried to do whatever they said, listen to a drum beat, try to make your spirit come out, find something. It was about five o'clock in the morning on the weekend. My fan, I could hear the noise. And I just got hypnotized by that. And sure enough, it seemed like my, my spirit came out. And as soon as it came out, I oh, it came right back in. I knew I was dabbling in something that I wasn't supposed to. I, I guess from all the times of God, it, he was there with me. Even when I wasn't with him, he was there with me. Fast forward six months later, a book comes out called uh, Da Vinci Code, where they were proclaiming that uh, Jesus was married, he had kids and all that. So I was interested. I read it. Wow, it's a pretty good book. But let me compare it because I'm like one of those educated persons. Let me compare it to what the Bible says. I'll read it just as literature, as you know, as a literature piece of fiction. Let me, let me, let me see what this says. That's why the Lord says, be careful. You know, you, you, you read this word, you're going to get what you're looking for, you know? So this Bible right here was given to me my first year incarcerated. For nine years, it was a prop for my radio only. Never open. It was just a prop for my radio. Wherever I got shipped, I'd carry it with me. It was just something my, my parents gave me, you know? But that nine and a half years, I started reading this thing. So I signed up for a program that they have in there called Kairos. Kairos is similar to something out here called the Walk Emmaus, where you go for a whole weekend and they just shower you with love, you know? Because we've always been told, you're going to hell and you guys are no good and this and that, what, that, what and the other. Also, the, the prison guards are just degrading you. You're never going to be nothing. You're a criminal. You know, they have that down good, you know, the, the way they just degrade you. So we don't know about love, but we said, well, you know what? You know, I'm going to hell. Well, I'm going to hell. Okay, cool. Only a select few were selected for that program. You know, I'm on a 4,500-man prison. They only let 500 people, I mean, uh, 50 people out of that whole prison go for that retreat, which is every six months. And the only reason people sign up for it is because they have brisket from the free world. We never tasted brisket in 10 years, you know? Or maybe people longer than me, 15, 20 years, you know, they got good food on the weekends and these preachers come and ah, we'll go down there. As soon as you get in there, brother, you'll, you, you'll see, you'll see why they do something like that. But you have different tables. Hey, you're St. Mark, you're St. June. And it's, it's pastors, ministers, leaders from all kinds of churches, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, uh, Catholicism. You know, they, they put aside their views of how they perceive the Bible just to come minister the Lord to you. They, a couple guys sit at a table with you, and you're there with those convicts all weekend long. They're just showering you with love. You know, you get there before they feed you with this great meal. You have your little table mat and it has these kids handprints there and in their own handwriting. I'm talking about kids five to six years old. Hey, I love you. Jesus loves you. And it, it just really breaks you down. You know, you, you're coming from a place of despotism uh, and, and uh, oppression and you come out. This is your first taste of love. Then they bring the prayer chain around and this thing goes on for miles people praying for you and you could tell something's happening to you you know you, something is going on and every day I go back and I'm quiet and I'm looking around on that third day you get to meet your prayer partners because we had a prayer partner out there which were the women the women weren't allowed to come until the last day when they had major security and everything only the men the leaders and so every day you would get a handwritten note from your prayer partner hey I'm praying for you and this and this and this all right 
We enter the chapel and this lady comes up to me. I'm looking around. This lady comes running to me, you know, and she goes, are you James? And I go, yes, ma'am. And she goes, I haven't slept in three days. I haven't slept. I've been praying for you. I go, oh, it just, it hurt, you know, it hurt me. I go to take my seat. This congregation felt very angelic. They were singing hymns, worship. You could just feel it. You could feel the spirit of God in there. And that was the last day of that event. And I'm leaving and I'm going back to my cell. All the Bible verses that I remember as a child were coming back to me without even having to read this, you know. If you deny me before man, I would deny you before my father. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It was just tugging on me, man. I knew I was in the spirit realm then. The whole day room was fixated on the television. I'm talking about blacks, whites, and Mexicans. Everybody in there. It was the award show, musical awards. Everybody was just in a trance. They were fixated on the televisions. There was a war show. It was, uh, you know, the women were up there half nude, shaking, you know, fame, fortune. There was not one man that was not fixated on that TV besides myself. There was not one person. And I looked around, you know, what's going on here, you know? And I knew at that time that is how the devil gets you, you know? That's how Satan attacks, you know? masquerades as an angel of light, you know. The show ended, one of my buddies came to me, he said, um, hey, you know so-and-so, which is a good friend of mine, he goes, he's leaving, he turned to Christian. In other words, he's getting out of the game. He goes, we're gonna air him out, which is a term for, you know, they're gonna beat him down, you know, there's no going and coming at your at your will. And I, you know, I'll, I'll pray for him, and, you know, to, by myself right there, I'm, please, you know, because he felt something like I did. The reason why he's doing this, and he goes, yeah, well, we're going to get him and this and this and this. And he goes, what about you? And when he said that, I don't know what made me say it. I just looked at him and I said, you know what? Me too. Me too. And he stood back. He looked like, like if I was a leper now, you know. He left my side and it was a big deal. And I wasn't afraid. I said, whatever happens, happens to me. If, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Keep in mind, I'm still a baby you know, I, I'm barely drinking a little bit of spiritual milk. So I still had my old character with me. I'm not going anywhere, you know. You're going to have to make me leave. But I didn't get that. You know, I, what I got is, hey, what 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 happened to you? What's going on? What, what happened to you? That, that's what everybody's asking. What happened to you? But they had to ostracize me, you know, because that's the way it goes. I was no longer welcome over there. But I wasn't willing to sit on the bench where... All the others were, I'll stand up in that day room. I'm not going anywhere. And and so at that time, keep in mind the way it operates in prison, you know, nobody outside of the race communicates with others and you stick together and you don't talk and there's no there's no conversation whatsoever other than some kind of rules or, hey, we're gonna do this, we're letting you guys know. But other than that, there's no conversation between one another. And a brother came up to me, I still remember his name, I love him a lot, his name is Paul Key. And a big friendly guy, chubby, you know, and he goes, Brother James, King James. He called me King James, my name. And then he goes, I see you with that cross, because at that at the Kairos, they gave us a cross, a wooden cross with some string. If you were a member of that, on the back of it, it said, with a stamp, Kairos 31. So the people that you went through that walk with, it was like your bond, you know? And then he goes, I see you with your cross. Cause he had already went through it. He was a preacher on the tank and he was a man of God, you know? And then I was like, yeah, what's going on brother? After that, he, he's like, he was like my spiritual advisor. You know, like I said, I didn't talk to anybody outside the race, but of all people, my spiritual advisor was a black man, you know, came to me. We sat there, people looked at us crazy, but they never, uh, never harmed me. They, you know, they just look. They looking, but deep down, they want to know what happened. What, what's going on here? This is strange. And so every morning we come out that day room and he was showing me scriptures and we would read, we would read. And he had one of those fierce type of preaching ways, you know, uh, hey, a church, this is how you need needs to be. If you're not doing it, you're not following the Lord, you know, and which would, I needed that. I needed that. I didn't, I, I needed the love. Don't get me wrong for the salvation part. Because I didn't know God's love. I needed that. All I was known, hell, fire, brimstone. 
But once you become a Christian, yeah, you need some some stern lectures given to you, some stern preaching. You know, I have four months to come home. I have four months to come home. And I just read the Bible and the scripture. And I seen a lot of things that I knew I couldn't go back. Like God revealed itself to me a lot. One day, this was my second counter of an evil spirit. One day I was laying down, I was asleep on my bunk, middle of the night, very, very, very strong force at my bars outside. It was so strong that I couldn't even pick up my head. All I seen was the black shoes and the robe, black robe. It reminded me of like that Aleister Crowley guy, that, that satanic uh, worshiper. And I couldn't pick it up. So all I knew to do was, uh, Jesus, Jesus, help me, you know. And he says, uh, he can't help you now. I just heard this evil voice and I couldn't pick up my head. And finally I was able to, and it was gone. I was, my heart was racing, I went to bed, but I prayed about it. And I, I, at the time, you know, and I woke up the next morning, I was actually happy about it. Because if I'm getting attacked, I must be doing something right here. You know, I'm getting attacked. The, the saint is not gonna send his best demons to come get you if you're not doing the work of the Lord. He already has you. And so I was preaching to my celly, everybody. My last day there, I don't know where a decade went. Decade went by, here I am, 28 years, I'm fixing to come home. I got to get away from this place. Thank the Lord that he saved me because I, most people come out worse than what they go in. And here I am walking with the Lord and uh, I just started crying in the day room. People are looking at me and all these other gang members and all that, and why are you crying out there? But when they locked the doors at the end of the night, all them guys that were these so hardcore, hardcore gangsters tell me what's on their heart. I want to go home. I miss my daughter. And I didn't. That was my time. That was my time to get them right there. Look, brother, you know, this is all we know, but this ain't the right way. This is not the right way. There's something else with thank you. And they hugged me. And next thing I take the bus and I made it, I made it back to the to the free world. I mean, it, it hasn't been easy, you know. It was very difficult for me at first. You know, who's gonna hire a convicted murderer? You know what I mean? I would go to jobs that I was qualified for. I was even, I even passed for work at Boeing. I was at Design. They came to my room to measure all my my items that I had. I was living with my brother at the time. I had a little bed and a few clothes. And they were gonna move me because I got a job at Boeing to design the 757s. I was into the AutoCAD and all that drawing, designing. I have went on a hundred interviews and I couldn't get a job. Nobody would hire me, nobody. And some of the jobs I wanted, I would cry when I would leave that interview. And, and this is one of those times that Boeing, the lady called me back, the lady that was recruiting me, she goes, you, you're the best candidate I've had in a long time. She goes, but unfortunately, I, I can't hire you. I go, I understand, ma'am, I understand. And I hung up, I just started tearing, you know, crying and I like, well, I'm gonna pay for this the rest of my life, but God, there must be another plan. There's, a, there's something else, you know? And and uh, I just kept going. I, I kept going, and and some jobs I would get, and, and I would leave. Uh, and not to be uh, disrespectful to the employer or anything, but I just felt like there was something better than me. I don't want to be here. This is not where I belong, you know. Eventually, I get opportunity to work, and I build myself up. And I'm happy to say, and by God's grace, you know, the last 10 years, I've been working for myself. I have my own company, you know. And, and, and I, so I haven't took a paycheck from uh, my employer for over 10 years, you know, and it's been good to me and my family. I've had over, in 10 years, I've had over 100 employees work for some come and go, you know, you know how the workforce is, but God bless that. God bless that. Not me. He, he said, that's where you're going to be. It gives me a lot of time, free time. You know, I get to go to a lot of my children's events, you know, and maybe that's what he wants. You need to be a father. You need to be close, you know. And the reason why I was sharing my testimony today is so important is when I knew I was going to share it, recently I just told my oldest son about me, you know, this here. He doesn't know. My children don't know anything. We, You know, we've actually moved away from the environment, trying to be a father to my children, you know. we, we They go to church, you know live a good life, respect your fellow man. And one day I, I had to break it down here recently because, you know, eventually he's going to see this testimony. And I told him, uh, son, you know, uh, your father is not who you necessarily think he is, but... Did they know that you had spent time in prison and all of that? None of that. Oh, well, actually, one time my nephew, 
had got drunk. My my brother's son, he got drunk around me and we were walking and he went off on me. I guess because he was mad at the world. I wasn't helping him and nobody was actually helping him. Uh, but he was a grown man. He needed to get a job. We we're just trying to be stern with him. And he just let it all out. I'm not afraid of you because you went to prison. You killed somebody. You ain't nothing to me and this and this. And my kids just started crying. They were a little bit younger, like, oh, what's going on? And I was hurt, you know, it, it, it really hurt me, you know, and and they don't know. And I like, don't pay attention to him. He's just drunk. One day my, my son was going through some depression, you know, from school and, you know, f sports. And I tried to give him that father-son talk, you know, keep your head up. Can I share something with you? And I was able to break that down to him. He was very quiet about it, okay. And and I said, well, don't dwell on that because that's not how you see me, that's not how you know me, but I wanted to tell you the truth. I wanted to get the truth out there to you. And how old is he at that time? Uh, 14. 14, 14 right So, and, and eventually I'm gonna share that with my younger children. I still feel they're still a bit too young to understand or to know, but when they get around in high school, I'll, I'm going to break that down to them. But I also want them to understand, you see, God can save anybody. You know, right. God can save anybody. And I, I took a liking because uh, another reason probably why I didn't and, uh, walk with the Lord or even want to pick up the Bible while I was in there was guilt and shame. And, and, and how can you come to someone holy if you don't know? You, you, you can't even get near him. You know, how can you come to him and ask him for forgiveness? I, I'm going to hell. That's all I knew. I'm going to hell. You know, but then I started reading the Bible. I focused on Moses, David, and Paul, the, the murderers of the Bible. And what did God, he used them. And they're the ones that wrote the majority of this book, you know. And I said, well, man, he can use them. He can use me, you know. Finally, the, the word just comes in, takes control of your heart, and it guides you, you know what I mean? And, of course, uh, there, Eric, I, I left out a lot of uh, other detail for time constraints. There's a, a lot of other things that God showed, revealed itself to me, you know, that that I, there's no there's no way I could turn back. You can come with some intellectual stuff all day. It's not going to work, you know what I mean? There's one God, and, and that's it. He created you. He created me. He created everything we see, hmm. you know, and, and you either accept it or you don't. But he's there. He loves you. He's there. He's got his hands open, and and uh, it's up to you to choose. He gives you free will. You know, there was a lot of questions that I always wanted to know, like, why did God do this, and why did God do this, and how come God lets Christians get hurt? And I don't have the answers, but you do have the answers. They're right here. Because uh, later on, I started understanding, okay, I understand that now. I understand why there's sin in the world. You know, he gave the the keys uh, to Adam. Adam gave him away to Satan, and he's the one that gave away, you know what I mean, the authority. So that's why Satan has control of this earth. He's a man of his word. If, if he gave him to Adam, Adam gave him to Satan, and he took it back, no, let me have those back, then he's not, you know, God is not uh, the man of his word. You know, his word don't return to him in void. And so, um, yes. Now, I mean, James, um, you had a moment where you went into witchcraft, um, which was shamanism, specifically Satanism. Um, you had a moment where you look into Islam and obviously Catholicism and all of these different things that you were exposed to uh, because you were searching for something. And one of those things was uh, Christianity and specifically following Jesus. Um from your experience, why did you decide, and, and this is a little redundant, right, because you've shared, but I want to give you an opportunity here to, to really speak to this as to if you tried all of these things, why Jesus? I'm going to tell you the, the reason why. All these other religions or whatever you can get involved in, they're dead. They're dead. There's nothing there. You know, there's nothing there. Um, the love is overpowering. It's just you you can't control that. You can't control God's love. His, that's his greatest attribute, his holiness. When you're in the face of the Lord or, or you, you encounter him, there's nothing that you can do about it. I'm pretty sure Paul, when he went to Damascus, he wanted to continue killing Christians, but there was nothing he can do. Once you get eye to eye with Jesus and it's your moment, that's it. It's it, it's over with. And everything that I was reading, now I was older and I was educated. So when I would read the Bible, the scripture made sense. Everything was there. Everything I 
my whole life it was just telling me the, the scripture made sense. And I never understood any of this, these other things, you know, I knew there were religions and people follow them and, but I didn't see no love in any of those other religions. I didn't see any answers to any prayers. Sure. When you first start out, you're going to start with skepticism. Depends on your walk with the Lord. If you're praying real hard and your prayers are answered, it's like a wow moment, you know. I can I can I can recall a moment with my celly at the time when I came back and I converted, you know, and I was walking with God and he he was kind of strange. He knew me, you know, and you know, I would I would have my rules of the hey, you gotta keep this clean, this and this and this. Well, I guess he thought Christianity was weak, you know, so he started kind of going overboard and, and I had trouble with him, you know. And I said, Well, you know, I'm not gonna let this happen, you know, I'm still the same person. I gotta Put him in his place still. He must see some weakness because I'm still a baby Christian, you know. But instead, one day I uh, prayed about it. I prayed about it. I said, man, this man's hurting and I don't want any conflicts, Lord. I, I, I'm trying to witness. I'm trying to walk with you. Please uh, help this situation. Because he would always complain because I would get a lot of mail. But I wasn't getting mail from the world. I was getting a lot of Bible studies and prayer partners. I was getting, I was overwhelming. I was getting pieces of mail every day because I was writing uh, different ministries. Hey, can you send me this book? I'm in prison. Can you send me this? Hey, can you send me this Bible? And I was getting all kinds of mail. And he said, nobody, he was just angry. Nobody ever writes me and nobody this and nobody that. And I prayed about that. And I said, please let his family come to him or whatever. And one day it was very hostile, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, please, Lord. Uh, uh, something about to happen in this cell. I'm about to bang him up, and I'll ask for forgiveness later. I'm sorry, God. Mel came around. He didn't even get up out of his bunk. He just had his head down, and they called his name. Here, just Mel. And they didn't have no mail for me, but I was happy. You know, I'm glad I didn't get any mail. He, he needed it. And this was about the very next day that I prayed about it, you know, like, help, help this man. He ripped open that letter, that letter, and I mean the environment in that cell, in that five by seven cell between me and him, changed a lot. You know, he opened up. Oh, my family's sick. I love them. I miss them, and I wish I can get out. And we just started talking deep, you know, spiritual and why I follow what I follow and what is he gonna do, and you know, minister to him. And so the the rest of my days were pretty calm, thanks to be to God. Yeah, it was. It's real to you. It became real. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, James, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is the creator of this world, and he's our salvation, the art of our salvation. He saved me. I needed to go through everything I did to learn. I wouldn't, I wouldn't never came to God if I was left on the street. I'd probably been dead, killed myself. I would have never been led. He needed to ostracize me from that environment, get me alone and make me open my eyes. James, I I want you to give two words of encouragement here, and I, I want to take it one at a time. Okay. Uh, the first one, um, for those who are still in prison, um, I believe this will get to them. Right. Uh, and the Lord will make it happen. But to those who are in prison and are watching this right now, um, as you're walking with Jesus and you've been through some of the things that they've been through and you can relate, what's a word of encouragement that you can give to those who are discouraged or, uh, you know, given up on themselves and don't know what to do in those four walls? Okay. Um, I had been trying to get back to prison in there for prison ministry for many, many years. And last year was the first time that I got to go see the brothers that were incarcerated or captive. And I'm, I know that they really need the word and they're hungry. They hugged me when, when I left. I spoke 10 minutes and 300 inmates hugged me when I left. And I know they need the word. But I like to say this, you know, um, no matter your your circumstance, and I know it's hard to understand, like, why I got a license, why I got this. You have to understand that there's more to it than just this world. If God calls you, you're from another kingdom, and it's hard to understand, and I, I understand that. But we're going to question God, like, why do I have all this time? Well, I want to come home. I want to see my family. But there's consequences for our actions, you know. Maybe he needs you there, and he's ready to take you in. It's up to you. It's up to you. And you, you know it. I know it. We don't even need to be serving in the Lord to know 
that what we're doing in there is bad. We all got a conscience. We know we live in a in that environment. You know it's bad. You know the things you're doing. You know you're living like an animal. You know what? There's a lot of us that know. I hope this guy never gets out. You know because you know he's not safe for society. Deep down, you don't need God to that. I didn't have God when I was when I understood that. All I know is I, you're at the bottom of the barrel right now, just like I was. It's the bottom of the barrel. You feel alone. You feel like nobody loves you, but somebody does love you. You maybe never been loved. Or if you do come from a loving home and you made a mistake, you want to go back to that. Hey, there's there's somebody there that, that wants to love on you. Amen. And uh, second, I uh, wanted you to give a word of encouragement to those are out, who are out and are relating to that struggle of not being able to find a job or uh, not know, you know, what the next move is and maybe even are struggling in their faith, you know, trusting God in that process. Could you just speak to those who have uh, left prison and are in that struggle right now? Sure. I mean, this is a daily sacrifice. You have to pick up your cross daily. It's a daily fight. You know in your heart that if that job is for you, if you're struggling to find work, I mean, it's easily to get caught up in our own thoughts and, and worries. And uh, But the Bible says be anxious for nothing. And I know it's hard. Uh, uh, you're not the only one. I'm not the only one. All of us Christians struggle. We don't know where our next, next meal is going to come from or, or how we're going to pay the rent. It's, it's very difficult. But you, you know, if you keep striving, God will gonna, God's going to answer that prayer. And the reason why we might get upset sometimes, because I, I believe God has three answers all the times to our prayers. He either says yes, no, or wait, because it's not your time. That's just my belief. God is always going to give you the answer. And if that's not your job, that's not your job. If he says wait, and you're like, why can't I have this yet? Wait, maybe you're not ready. When your time comes, you're going to be blessed abundantly, you know. And, and, and you're not going to know where that came from, but you know it's of God. So you just need to uh, keep pressing on every day. Be vigilant in prayer, prayer every day, and um, surround yourself with, with other believers. You know, uh, you got to get around the, the church. The church is the people. You have to be around them. You're not meant to serve alone. You're not meant to serve alone. I know, me too, I'm a private person, you know, I'm very private, but I have the church, you know, we, we communicate, but you have to get, doesn't matter if you're uh, extrovert, introvert, you have to get around others like-minded. Yeah. James, could you pray for those who are watching wherever they're at that are ready to give their life to Jesus? I sure can. And, and, and uh, it's a simple prayer. It's a very simple prayer. And, and if there's anyone out there watching and you're at the bottom of the barrel, as I was, you, you have no hope, you, uh, you, you want to give up on life, uh, uh, you need somebody, you need, you need a savior. Well, there's only one person that could save us. And the Bible says we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. He says in Romans that there's none righteous, no, not one. And he also says in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is through eternity. Jesus Christ. There's a very simple verse, Romans 10, 13. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you shall be saved. If you bow your head, talk to God, the creator of the universe, and just say, dear Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Dear Lord, I open wide the door of my heart and I ask for you to come into me now. Please forgive my sins and thank you for everything that you've done for me. Please show me a new life and fill me with the Holy Spirit to lead the life that you want for me. Thank you and I love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. James, do you have any last words for people who are watching your testimony? Sure. Um, I, I would like to tell everybody to continue to watch others' testimony, uh, continue to pray for Brother Eric here doing the Lord's work and, and his obedience to follow the Lord's commands, get the word out there. Share your testimony. Every single one of us have a testimony. There's going to be someone that's watching now that might not, you know, 
uh, relate to my testimony, but there's others on this platform or around you that you will relate to, you know? And, and so you, uh, you have to share your testimony and give out. Number two, you have to um, read this right here, on your own, on your own. I mean, it's great to go to church, listen to pastors, listen to preachers, but you have to share, you have to uh, get with God. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, uh, study to show thyself approved. Also, when Paul went to preach to the Bereans, he said, uh, the brand said, well, hold up. Let me get this scripture and let me see if, if what you're talking about is right. If you read this word, this is God's word to you. You'll get a good understanding and you'll get the spirit of discernment. Another thing is stay involved in your church. You don't necessarily need to go to a mega church. Find you a little small church. They need you. They need you. And stay plugged in. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.